the director uh, for the Program for Excellence in uh, Election Administration uh, at the University of Minnesota, part of the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. I was waiting for at least one applause for the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. Okay. Um, uh, before that, he spent 10 years at the Pew Charitable Trust, uh, where he headed the Pew's elections team uh, and did a lot of work there that we're going to talk about that. He has a uh, degrees from Georgetown, Harvard's Kennedy School, uh, Princeton University, and Hogwarts. Ladies and gentlemen, Doug Chapin. So much, please. Oh, I'm so ex I'm so excited uh, that you're here, and you're here on Election Day Eve. Like, is this is this your Christmas Eve? It's like Super Bowl Eve. It's like Super Bowl Eve. That's right. Got to go home and get a lot of rest because there will be lots of madness across the country. So it'll be. What fun. can I just? What is the madness that you expect uh, the, in this mad, mad, oh, mad world? There's always great stuff on Election Day. I mean, you, you, people forget you vote in your own polling place, and you don't realize that even on relatively small elections like we're going to have tomorrow across the country, you've got hundreds of thousands of people going to thousands of polling places and people being people. So there will be <laughs> people you know, being some, people. Somebody somebody will hit somebody. Um, inevitably somebody gets bitten. Um, really? Just about every federal election we have a car drive into a polling place. Um, America's really a great country, especially on election day. It's that can I just I I, I don't mean to press you on this. Is yeah. this a particularly American thing? Do the do cars not drive into people and bite them in Great Britain? You know, I don't I, I don't follow that. I would, okay. I, I, I'd, I'd like to think that we're exceptional. We, okay, um, that's but good. Um, but I, I I couldn't say perhaps the British bite on the left arm rather than the that's right. Good, that's good. That's uh, good. So uh, tomorrow is election day, mm. and uh, we were actually we we were having a little bit of a, a panic backstage because some of us live in Minneapolis and some live in St. Paul, and there I'm correct me if I'm wrong. There's almost nothing happening in Minneapolis that's, elections tomorrow. That's right. Yeah, pretty much all the act uh, all the action is across the river. Uh, in St. Paul and mostly in other states. I don't, across do, the should I feel cheated somehow? I don't get to be. <laughs> I don't get to be d d democratic tomorrow. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny. There really are in some parts of the wor uh, the country. It, it it's almost like um, it's election day every Tuesday. And so uh, I actually um, grew up and still live in um, Virginia, where we have a, a statewide election um, every year. So um, I, I think only a Minnesotan could sort of have election day withdrawal. Um, but I think I really I, – I, I applaud that. That is very – I'm glad that you brought that up because we've had uh, Secretary of State Mark Ritchie uh, on the show in the past and talked to him about Minnesota having such a strong mm -hmm. sort of civic – and I've always interested why. Why is Minnesota so interested in – why do we love to vote so much? You know, I, I, I wish I knew. I, I, I love to tell people that um, um, where I'm from in Virginia, we like to think that we invented American democracy. But I think – here in Minnesota, you've come pretty close to perfecting it. I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's the, uh, I don't know if it's the, if it's the, the, the local culture or the kind of the, the folks you've had in office. But um, the level of civic engagement um, in, in places like Minnesota is, um, if not off the charts, at least near the top. So, uh, as you noted, tomorrow, uh, election mm -hmm. day, people are going to be voting all over the place, and I think we all have an image of uh, what election day is and right. what happens on election day. But 
for folks, uh, I should say, I this maybe colors the conversation. I grew up in South Florida, uh, so mm -hmm. I have different perspectives on how elections can and potentially can't work sometimes. <laughs> so uh, I was wondering if you might say a little bit about sort of how this all varies mm -hmm. in different places, because we're used to here in Minnesota just being able to walk in like, right. oh, yeah, look, I've got a utility. I don't even have a utility bill. I've got uh, this lady here. She's willing to say right. I'm cool, uh, and so I'm going to vote, and it'll work great, and it does. Yeah. So first of all, you moved here from South Florida. I did. To get away from the harsh winters. Yeah, well, okay. yeah. to get away from something, okay. but uh, <laughs> don't tell anyone yeah. I'm here. Okay. Um, but, uh, no, I... I <laughs> It is, it's amazing to me is that everybody votes, and usually folks think that elections across the country all work the way they do where they're from. Um, in fact, people often say to me, why don't we have a uniform national election system? And I say, well, actually, we do, that everybody does it their own way and can't believe that anybody else would do it differently. So there really are still lots of places across the country where you cannot register to vote on election day. Um, there are lots of places across the country where you can register to vote online and other places where you can't. Some places still vote in local polling places. In California, people vote in literally in private homes, in people's garages. What? Um, so, yeah, they had their so star for polling places that it's almost like the old hymn, you know, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, there's a polling place. That is, um, so, yeah. the, that is like a Dateline episode waiting to happen. It is, to catch a voter. Yeah, to catch a voter. Right? Yeah, yeah. To catch a voter. Yeah. Uh, so... Why, well, to your question, though, why isn't there some sort uh, – if not necessarily a uniform standard, it does seem like, uh, and you would be the expert in this, that there are best practices. So why why don't those best practices sort of get adopted in more places? I think, I think it has a lot to do with how different um, America is from place to place. Uh, you know, you think about the 50 Springfields in this country. You know, every state has a Springfield, and they're all very different. You know, they range from, you know, state capitals in – um, Illinois to a big D.C. suburb in Virginia to small towns and lots of other places. And all of those 50 Springfields are different. So the kind of thing that works in a big city with a big urban polling place with thousands of people, lots of parking, doesn't work in places where um, I had one Secretary of State once tell me that I have precincts where there are more cattle than voters. Right. And so and figuring the, and out what be, works best. The yeah. cattle don't vote in this they don't. Okay. They don't, at least good. not in uh, not in off year elections. Okay. So. Good. Not in off year. They're Democratic yeah. base yeah. voters. They, they tend the to cattle. Be, yeah. They, they uh, have to be sort of driven to the polls. Okay. That's good. Um, so, uh, I'm I'm here all week. Go what? ahead. <laughs> this is good. Why we don't need to do anything? Um, why? <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. Oh, he's got a rim shot. Button. Yeah, he oh, does. I didn't mm -hmm. need to know that. Go uh, so good. Uh, so, what? Uh, tell us a little bit about some of those best practices or the things that you know you you study and look at that do seem to work very well if your goal is getting more folks to vote. I think one of them is to shorten the distance between um, the voter and the ballot. I think that the kind of stuff that that Minnesota and other states are doing with. Um, election day registration is tremendous. Some states that aren't quite ready to go there are going to online voter registration, making it much easier than having to hand fill out a card and hope that it gets read and filed. Um, but finding some way to shorten the distance between somebody who wants to be a voter and their name actually on the list, which is kind of like the guest list for um, election day, is crucial. I think the other thing is to make it um, convenient to people the way they live. Um, in this country, we've tr traditionally had sort of neighborhood-based polling places, and we had this idea that convenience was based on proximity to our homes. And in today's increasingly mobile um, America, really mobile world, that isn't necessarily the case. And my polling place is 
half a mile from my house, but it's three left turns. And in Northern Virginia, that can be an eternity. So for me, you know, that near where I vote or on my way to work uh, or, or near, the, um, near the subway, there's convenience for people um, in terms of days or places that's um, really different. So you noted uh, online registration, mm -hmm. which we, am I correct, we just basically correct. got that in. in that's will right. Will this be the first election where we actually have it in? No, actually, you had it in. in we in did have it last you, time. You did, did have it last time. And it really is, it, um, it, uh, online voter registration really is kind of the latest um, election sensation that's sweeping the nation. Um, I, really all the kids have, are talking about that's it. That's right. It's, uh, but, but really, I, it, it, as recently as maybe three or four years ago, there was just a handful of states, and, and more and more you're seeing states, red states, blue states, you know, states of, of varying degrees of purple, who all like it, both because it makes it easier for people to get on the list, as well as for, fo for the states to verify that the people who are registering are actually eligible to vote, and so more and more states. We're now at a point where more than half the states have it, um, and I think with some very limited exceptions, we'll probably see most states having it, if not by the next presidential election, then perhaps um, the one after that. Does it show then that that actually increases the number of folks who turn out? Is there anything to suggest that? I think that's the big, you know, that's the big X factor. I think that one of the things that we've seen with these registration reforms is that we make it easier to put people on the rolls. It makes the denominator bigger, if you will. Mm -hmm. What we don't yet know is whether or not that increased number of people are actually turning out and voting. And so you're starting to see some states like Colorado are now mailing ballots to every registered voter and then giving them options either to mail it back, drop it off in a drop box, or return it to what's called a voting center or a precinct on election day. So looking at trying to gas that numerator rather than just add people to the denominator. And uh, I mean, as long as we're talking about uh, internet uh, and, and whatnot, uh, I know we talked a little bit before the show that internet voting mm -hmm. is not something that we get to do, but it's, it's the kind of thing that I ha hear a lot of people say, like, why can't I just, I can vote for a lot of, I can, I could buy an island in China that they just built on the internet. Why can't I vote on the internet? You make enough money to buy an island nope. in China. Wow, that's a, uh, <laughs> the, no, I, the improv I, comedy I, business <laughs> is, is very lucrative, as you can tell. Um, so no, I, I, I need dinner after yeah, this if you know, you're buying. Yeah, the, 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 the answer, um, I'm not. Um, the answer to that question um, is um, that, that, that unlike money, um, votes are not fungible. You know, if you and I were to both take, well, I don't know if you actually have one, but if each of us were to take a dollar bill out of our pockets and trade them, neither one of us would be any worse off. But if we were to do the same thing with our votes, we'd have committed a crime. So it's unique to the person. Hmm. So it's not fungible. And so figuring out a way to protect the integrity of that ballot while still taking advantage of the fluidity of the internet is a real challenge. I like to joke that everybody agrees that we'll have internet voting someday. But the, 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 the elbows and the hair pulling starts when you try and define what someday is. Uh, so uh, there's a bunch of things I want to get to. And I should say, in the second half of the show, we open it up to all of you to ask questions of our guests. So please start thinking about the things that you're interested in asking. So uh, again, I'm from Florida. So I can't have an election show without talking about voter rolls. Cause, mm -hmm. um, uh, they always work perfectly. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I don't think. Thank you. I don't think that people recognize how important that list of names as to w whether or not you are uh, registered or allowed to vote or legally dead as far as the state is concerned is and how that system actually works. Yeah, it, it, it's incredibly important. I mean, I, and, um, I, I tell people all the time that I think the voter roll um, is the most important moving part in any 
election. It really is. It is the bright line between who is able to cast a ballot, who's actually handed a ballot on election day, and who is turned away or given what's known as a provisional ballot in most states. It really is your admission ticket to democracy. And we, some states, again, are doing online registration or are streamlining that. Other places are still literally working off of handwritten cards, which people then have to hand enter into databases wow. and, and verify. Um, and as you can imagine, there are lots of slips between um, those cards uh, and the list. And so you do have people who show up, think they're registered, um, and aren't on the list. The other problem is we have people who think that, you know, my, my bills find me, my magazines find me, of course my registration follows me when I move. It doesn't. Uh, and so it, if you move across the street, across town, across the country, there's no guarantee um, that you're going to be registered in your new location. And it's not as easy in most places as it is in Minnesota where you can walk in, um, show an ID, bring a friend who will vouch for you, uh, and register to vote. So we've been hearing about some states that are just doing universal or, or opt-out voting yep. registration, mm -hmm. right? Which is just basically everyone is automatically right. registered. Right. Uh, do we know how that's working? If it no, I mean I, I, that's the one. All right, good one, question. Yeah. No, but, well, uh, no, no, but no, it, it, it it's actually it, it really is it, it's an exciting idea. Um, uh, Oregon really is the first state out there. California has just followed on, um, but the idea is rather than requiring an otherwise eligible individual to volunteer, I volunteer as tribute, I volunteer as a voter, right, to put myself on the list. Um, the, the jurisdiction, like our Canadian neighbors and many other countries, actually have a list of people who are otherwise eligible and put them um, on the voter roll. The idea is rather than make the voters come to us, why don't we go to the voters? We don't yet know how it's going to work in Oregon and California, but the idea is, again, maybe by boosting that denominator, we can get more people in the numerator casting ballots. What's the argument against that? Well, you get different. If first is you get the problem that, that people are worried that people who are not otherwise eligible will be allowed to vote. In California, for example, you've got lots of people who are um, immigrants, um, either non-citizens or even undocumented immigrants. And the fear is that when they register for a driver's license or something else that they will then be put on the, the voter rolls and think it's their duty to vote and, and have committed a crime. The other argument you hear, um, and this is kind of a bumper sticker, but you hear it often enough, is that voting is a privilege, not a right, that, that it's something you should work for um, a little bit, that, that, that this notion that you can just sort of be handed a ballot and um, make it easy to vote um, is something that, that folks worry that by making it too easy to vote, people won't take it as seriously as they could. I know. Is that true? It's, uh, I mean, just uh, to, to like put it uh, in terms of uh, it being a right versus a, a privilege obviously seems wrong, but I mean, I, I, I know that there's actual scholarship around the idea of, you know, should there be some effort involved in right. democracy versus a place like Australia that mandates voting, mm -hmm. uh, that everyone has to vote. Is there some academic argument around people should be forced to try somehow? No, I, no, I, think, it's, I, 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 I think it's a straight-up policy choice. I think it really is. It is the sense of the individual making that argument that by, by making it, quote unquote, too easy to vote by registering, by putting a ballot in their hand through the mail, that somehow you're cheapening the process. Um, I don't know if that's partly a policy choice or partly a, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we had to go up, you know, uphill both ways in the snow to cast a ballot and therefore it should be that, um, it should still be that difficult, you know, kids today shouldn't be able to, uh, but I, I do think it's a policy choice that breaks down not always neatly on partisan lines, but sometimes generational lines that we're somehow making it too easy for people 
to vote and therefore cheapening that choice. Okay, so I have a, I have a couple other things I want to get to before uh, we go to the next part of the show, but uh, uh, our electoral system, uh, how, do we, how do we fund it? I don't think people re regularly know how, how we pay for these voting machines. Do we just lease them from like the voting machine company? And uh, I don't know. It varies. It really does. I mean, and, until um, 2002, thanks to folks like you in Florida, um, uh, there was never any um, federal funding of state and local election administration at all, even though we'd had you know, 200 plus years. Um, because of the Florida problem in 2000, the Congress passed a bill called the Help America Vote Act that made about $3.5 billion available to the states. And states use that to buy new machines and do other things. Um, that was 13 years ago, and a lot of those states are starting to um, see those machines breaking down or wearing out. And where that comes from next, we don't know. And so lots of states, including Minnesota, are thinking about do we work do we find money in the state budget? Do we work with locals to somehow tax their tax base? Um, do we look to Congress again, although looking to Congress for any help with money these days I think is an uphill um, well, slog. Well, and there was a lot of talk after uh, the 2012 election about the tremendously long lines in certain places in the country. Did anything happen as a result of that? Yes. There, um, there, uh, a group of really smart people um, called the, the Presidential Commission on Election Administration, and I have several friends in the business who are part of that. I took a, a look at that, uh, and um, basically they recommended a couple of things. One is that election officials just to be need more tools to both know who's going to be there on Election Day and then manage the crowds when they come. In many ways, the problem in some jurisdictions is not that too few voters will turn out, but that too many will, that you'll simply be um, overrun. Do the you other they is put like a velvet rope up or something, <laughs> and then everyone wants to vote. Exactly, uh, you'd exactly. think. Yeah, you'd yeah, think. Like, oh, only the cool kids are voting. Yeah, so. or the, the other thing is that um, closing um, schools on election day or making uh, lots of schools are they're centrally located. They are lots of parking. Um, they are um, usually accessible for people with disabilities. But lots of places, because of concerns about school safety, don't want quote strangers in the building at the same time that the kids are there. So one of the recommendations they had was to close schools, use a teacher work day or what have you um, for election day. So I, I think there is much more of a focus on those long lines um, in um, in the places where they happened in 2000. And so that's a great transition into uh, kind of the last question I had here, which is tomorrow is election day, which shows up on my Google calendar as a holiday, in the, but it's not a holiday. I, should it be sort of a big, like, should we all get the day off and have election uh, parties and go vote together and uh, then, you know, just drink until the election results <laughs> come in? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, again, I think that you, you get a lot of um, um, differences of opinion on it. There was a recommendation after the 2000 election that we make Election Day a holiday, and the initial recommendation was that it share Veterans Day. Um, that Veterans Day would be an election day. Um, that got shot down in Congress largely because veterans groups didn't want to share Veterans Day, that that was their day. Um, I think, to be honest, these days it is so easy in most states to cast a ballot outside the traditional confines of what we used to think of as election day, um, weekends, by mail, what have you, that we don't need a holiday because not everybody is voting on one day. You know, Voting in your neighborhood polling place on election day with your neighbors as poll workers in most states is purely a choice and not a requirement. 
these days, and therefore making it a holiday, I don't think would necessarily make a difference. But what about the the sticker? You don't get the you can't wear the sticker if you vote by mail. Well, you get a, you get a sticker back if you vote by mail. But Do lots you? of places you get, lots of places will send you a you can you can print one out on sticker or they mail you one. Oh, print yeah. one out? What is yeah. what is this China? Uh, I don't I, understand. I, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, we're gonna bring our guest back in the second half of the show to answer your questions. But for right now, can we do a tremendous round of applause for Mr. Doug Chase? All right, if you have a question, raise your hand and I will... Okay, how about that? I, I'm premonition. All right, here. I'm intrigued by the word fungible. In the, realm, in the realm of politics, what does fungible mean? Fungible means that unlike dollar bills, where every dollar bill is worth the same no matter whose pocket it's in, your vote is unique to you. And therefore, you are responsible for casting it. Usually, it comes with what's called a ballot style, a collection of, of, of individual races for which you are eligible to vote. So the idea is that we can't, unlike money on the Internet or money in an ATM, we can't commingle them. They're not exchangeable one for another. That They are unique to the person casting them. And so the challenge that people who want to do internet voting are struggling with right now is how to make the system as fluid as it is for financial data without compromising both the uniqueness and the secrecy of the individual ballot. So it's each vote has to be a snowflake? It, pretty much, yes. Okay, good. Did, uh, did I see in the front, did, were you grasping for the microphone? No, okay. Uh, I just thought you were just had something just burning up that you were, okay, oh, all the way up in the back. This is good. I'll come up there, and I'll hand the microphone just down the aisle. Oh. Could you tell us uh, what you know or what's the latest with uh, the people who actually count the votes and what? all of the money that was spent on voting machines that uh, were, you know, a, a backdoored uh, through... Uh, you know, uh, nefarious means about what what the percentage of people who are going to actually vote on electronic voting machines is today, as a result of the Help America Vote Act. Yeah, the the the, the number of people. It, it's interesting how the industry, if you will, has changed. At least the machines. Um, in the immediate aftermath of the Help America Vote Act, or HAVA, for short, um, HAVA. That's right. It's not exact. Thank you. I knew if I said it enough, he would play that. <laughs> Not my first rodeo. Okay. Um, but Do you do a lot of election discussions with a live keyboardist? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're asking about whether we should yes, trust our sorry. votes, which is so, an important yeah, question. After HAVA, uh, many states spent money on what are known as touchscreen machines, um, which look a little bit like the old touchscreen ATMs. Um, really, since then, there are very few states that continue to do that. You now most folks are voting on... Um, I heard the word Scantron. They're called optical scan ballots, where people are voting on a paper ballot and then feeding them into um, a machine. And the current thinking in the field is that that's really the best way to do it. One, because um, you don't have nervousness about what happens inside the machine. And two, you can either recount or audit the results um, after the fact. Now, as for the people who count votes, that's kind of actually what I do for a living. I work with election officials across the country. And what we're doing at Humphrey is working really to identify, recruit, and train the next generation of election officials. And I will tell you that even though there isn't necessarily a profession of election administration 
with very, very limited exceptions who you usually see in the newspapers. The people who do their jobs as election officials do it exceedingly well and exceedingly um, professionally. And so what they really are looking for is the same kind of support from legislators and funders so that they can continue to deliver the, 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 the good service they want to give um, to their voters. So I, I, I'll come here, but I have a two-part very quickly. I mean, one, just to clear, uh, there, Lou Dobbs made a career basically off of saying nobody should ever trust uh, an electronic voting machine. And uh, so I want to ask whether uh, Lou Dobbs is a, a, a prescient sage or something else. And then second... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I wanted to ask. Uh, well, let's let's answer that first. Let's answer, a I'll stop. something else. Okay, he's something else. So we should. No, I, I, I mean, I, yeah. Jokes aside, I think that I, there were concerns about these machines, um, and I think um, I do think that that in most cases, you know, there's the whole thing about Occam's razor that you should always assume incompetence rather than treachery. I think that usually it was a mistake or malfunction, but still the fact that we didn't know what happened in between when the voter put her finger on the screen and the votes came out the back was enough of a concern that folks are now going more and more to this paper-based stuff. And unfortunately what it did is allowed folks who either had or wanted to promote doubts about the system um, an ability to do that. So Dobbs and others made a big deal about that. I think the happy result is that folks, either because they think it's the right thing to do or because they don't want to get pilloried on CNN or wherever Dobbs is these days, um, is to use these, these optical scan machines. Okay, great. There was a hand right here. I filibustered him to death. <laughs> Didn't even get the second part of the question. Don't even try. Go ahead. <laughs> um. I was just wondering if you could speak a little, and this is sort of a um, Pandora's box, so I'm sorry for opening it, um, but the Alabama voter ID law um, that has happened recently, and um, Clinton's got on record saying that it's a blast design um, from Jim Crow past, um, just the sort of everything that's happened with the race um, discrimination um, ID laws in general, but specifically what's mm -hmm. going on in Alabama. Sure. Um, about five out of six use optical scan machines. Very few use touchscreen. Um, voter ID, um, um, I could, but won't go on and on. Voter ID is something that has been incredibly controversial. We're actually sitting in um, a very unique state in that Minnesota, I think, is the only state ever to vote on ID and vote it down, um, at least for the voters. Um, so... Um, it is. It's a guaranteed applause line in Minnesota. Um, I, I, voter ID, um, without oversimplifying it, it is it it is very much evidence of a policy difference between the two parties. One party concerned is concerned about um, people being enfranchised, and the other side tends to worry about the integrity and people who are ineligible casting ballots. And voter ID became a very popular way to do that. I think what's interesting now is that the voter ID debate has changed from should people be required to show ID, and some states have made the decision yes, and some to do people who don't have ID have an ability to get it, and that's where Alabama comes in. And Alabama, the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, which runs basically the, the driver's license bureaus, decided ostensibly because of a budget issue to close 30 county DMV offices. Um, coincidentally or not, 
those were mostly in heavily African-American communities, um, and therefore people who didn't have ID were going to have to either travel a long way to get them or rely on, I think, the single ID mobile that, you know, First of all, the fact that there is a, something in Alabama called Mobile that goes around um, giving out IDs um, is delightful and why I love my job. Um, but the fight nowadays in places like Wisconsin across, um, um, the, across the state line in Alabama and elsewhere is less and less about should we require people to um, have ID because those fights have pretty much happened depending on who's in charge um, as to whether or not people who don't have them can get them. And those arguments are ones which... Um, the party that doesn't favor ID, I think, is finding much more favorable ground on. Now, whether or not, I confess I'm kind of a militant moderate. I'll sort of fight to the death to say it depends. So some of the Jim Crow language, I think, is a, I think is probably a little bit strong and, and has a lot to do more with the election year than it does with the issue itself. But I do think the struggle to make sure that people who want to vote are otherwise eligible and don't have the ID can get the ID is incredibly um, important. Julian Bond, um, who um, was on the, the Carter Baker Commission, said that ID isn't a political issue, it's an ID issue, that we need to empower people in those communities by giving them ID rather than force them to get ID in order to cast a ballot. Quick follow-up. Um, what do you think some solutions are to um, getting those IDs for um, impoverished and um, racially disadvantaged groups? I, I, we're starting to get a little out of my depth, but since we're... Um, Dive in! That's right. Um, <laughs> I think you make the ID valuable in other ways. I think that, that you find a way to... That, that ID becomes a passport to being part of a larger civil society. You don't just use it as a ticket you don't have for a vote you can't cast, but find a way, whether it's through involving people in the community, um, whether it's something like, and I don't want to sound you know, too Pollyannish, but, you know, like a library card or something that, that brings people into a larger community that then this thing in their pocket isn't just a way for them to cast a ballot and exercise their rights, but actually to be a part of a larger society. So we need to view it less as a solution to this ID fight and more as a way to bring people who are not represented in our society into society. Okay. Did, did you... Uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul use ranked choice voting. Duluth is looking at it. Seattle, uh, Bay Area cities use it. I mean, what do we, uh, it's been used now enough maybe that we have some conclusions about it. I mean, are there any best practices or is this a, is this like an experiment that will soon end or is this a good thing that more cities should adapt? Um, is it an experiment or is it a good thing? I think the answer is yes. Um, I, I do think though, I think that, that what, um, Minneapolis and St. Paul and maybe Duluth, depending on tomorrow's results, are doing is giving us real experience rather than just theoretical talk about ranked choice voting. And one of the struggles that, that um, Minneapolis had was a very long list of um, um, candidates, including Ole Savior and Captain Jack Sparrow, right, um, overlaid on a ballot that only allowed you to rank three candidates. Um, and even if you didn't think that Oli Savior and Captain Jack were serious candidates, one could argue that there were more than three serious candidates that voters might want to vote for. And so in many ways, the struggle with ranked choice isn't with ranked choice, but with the machines we're using or the ways in which we allow candidates on the ballot. And I think what Minneapolis and St. Paul are doing is providing a real service to other places to see how it works. And ultimately, the two cities 
and maybe Duluth will have to decide if they want to continue. We, I'm that. sorry. I, we probably should say just a word or two in case uh, about exactly the goal of ranked choice voting sure. and then how we hopefully at some point judge whether or not it's working. Sure. I think the, the, the goal of ranked choice voting is – the argument you hear from proponents is that it eliminates the need for things like primaries because it allows you to have – all of the discussions and all the decisions made at once. By ranking your choices one through X number of candidates, ultimately the candidate who is elected, at least in theory, gets the broadest possible support without requiring you to go through several levels of elections. I think one of the ways that people are using to um, evaluate that, and I think that the evidence is mixed, is whether or not that effect is seen in every community that's using it. One of the concerns that we've seen here in Minneapolis is that more affluent and well-educated voters seem to like it and participate at a greater rate than people in traditionally underrepresented communities. Um, and I would be willing to bet that that's probably not a goal of the, the ranked choice supporters. And so figuring out how to maintain the character of ranked choice, if that's what Minneapolis and St. Paul want to do, while still making sure that all communities can participate is incredibly important. Okay, we have time for maybe one last question. If there's uh, one more hand, yes, I will come up here to the front. Keep passing that email list around uh, here. On a national level, what are your thoughts about how useful the electoral college system is in a modern world in the, with the information systems being as they are? Is there still any value, or is it um, the big roadblock, the issue of infrastructure, or even... Um, Momentum. I, I, another really like interesting. College, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another another really interesting question. I had um, 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 a colleague, um, a fellow by the name of Richard Smolka, who passed away a couple years ago, who said I always used to tell my students that if we ever had another election where one candidate won the popular vote and another candidate won the electoral college, it would almost certainly be abolished. Well, that happened in 2000, and it wasn't abolished. I think the argument you hear um, is twofold. I think one. Um, in some ways, I think campaigns like it because it narrows the field. Um, you know, you've got the blue wall in some states that are always going to go Democratic, and you've got some red states, and then there's usually that, you know, a dozen to 15 states which end up being swing states. So they like being able to concentrate their effort in those battleground states. The other concern you hear is that if we went to either a popular vote system or what some states do, which is a congressional district by congressional district system, is that the places that had the most people would get the most attention and flyover country would literally become just that, that candidates would end up hops. Instead of just going to those big cities for money like they do now, they would only go to those big cities for um, votes. I mean, I, I, I see your point and I think there is um, – interest in thinking about the way that works, but I would be willing to bet that there are several dozen things that we will change in the American electoral system um, before we change the Electoral College. If for no other reason than, as a country, even though we love innovation and we love new ideas, we stick to things which are tried, if not always true, like the Electoral College. So if you were going to change several dozen things in the Electoral College system, or before the Electoral College system, what would they be? I think, I think one of the things I would do is I would look at ways to move the, um, the, the, the system away from the traditional precinct place election day, that we find a way to allow people to um, register and vote at times, which is convenient um, for them. I, we would find a better way to pay for how we run elections. We know a lot, thanks to campaign finance, what it costs to run for election in this country. We know 
almost literally next to nothing about what it costs to run an election. And too often that cost falls very heavily on local governments, which quite honestly don't have the funds um, to pay for it. I think the other thing I would do is I would find ways, um, it's almost cliched, but to really to put the voter first, to rather, rather than think about it as something that a government does that people consume, to actually think about the voter as a consumer, as a taxpayer, design forms, divine, design experiences, design what have you, to think about what we can do to help them cast that ballot. And then the big question, and this is the, the, ch the, the challenge, is that the work that I do, um, I tell people I'm an election geek, not a political junkie. You know, my job is um, to make it as easy as possible for people who want to cast their ballots. We need our political system to make people want to cast those ballots. The, oh, the, for good all the, luck. Yeah, yeah, but for all, the talk, for all the talk about how difficult it is to vote and that's what's driving down turnout, that's not what's driving down turnout. What's driving down turnout is either people don't like the choices um, or simply aren't, don't feel connected to um, our nation's civic life. And I think in many ways that we could bottle what you all have in Minnesota and take it elsewhere, um, that would really help. But to, to make people feel, um, you know, like your cast member who, you know, really wanted that hit, who want to be a part of the like process. Yeah, it, it, it really is, voting is a habitual good. And if we get people in the habit of voting, um, that can only be a good thing. Lady, I can't ask any more after that amazing answer. So ladies and gentlemen, a tremendous round of applause for the talented, articulate, amazing Doug Chavis. Thank you for listening. Our show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see us in person, you can find our schedule by going to www.t2p2.net or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks. <laughs>